Hey there, I'm Krista, your host for the Birding Tools Podcast. Each week, I'll delve into the wonderful world of birds for birding beginners and those wanting to get the lowdown on what goes into bird watching and identifying birds. Let's get started. First, I wanted to let you know that I have a free guide to learning all about bird identification. After going through this workbook, you'll know about the five keys to bird identification, size and shape, color and pattern, behavior, habitat and distribution, and sound. When you understand the main components of identifying a bird, you'll begin to feel more confident with your birding and identification skills. This process will not just help you with identifying birds by sight and sound easier, but it will also help deepen your connection with nature. To get this free guide, just visit the podcast show notes at birdingtools.com. This week on the Birding Tools Podcast, we'll be outlining your birding goals and resolutions, not just for 2021, but for this stage in your birding journey. And we'll walk through how to make the ultimate birding destination wish list. This is a fun exercise for any time of year, but if birding is something you enjoy doing, why not have it be something you work toward on a daily or monthly basis? I'm going to upload a PDF document in the show notes at birdingtools.com that outlines three goals you'll set for yourself. And it doesn't have to be three. It can be just one or two or more. They're your goals and resolutions, so it can be as many as you want. You can print out this sheet and put it in the front of your field guide or field notebook so you won't forget about it. Your goals might change in the next year, and that's fine too, and you can adapt it over time. Let's talk about some of the resolutions that you can set for yourself just to give you some to think about. You can start a life list. If you don't already have a life list or a list of the birds you've seen and positively identified, you can get started with that by jotting down the birds you're seeing when and where. You don't have to share this anywhere necessarily, and really it can just be for your personal records and information. It's really cool when you get to see a bird and cross-reference it on your list to tell you for sure that it's a new bird you've never seen before. You can learn how to use eBird. I'm not necessarily an avid eBird user personally, but I really appreciate the kind of information you can get from it as a resource and as far as which species you can find where and when. On their website at ebird.org, they have a free three-hour training to teach you how to use the program. Just today, I actually used it to see the most recent records of common eiders in Florida to verify the likelihood of one being there. Lo and behold, I found records of sightings that birders posted on eBird literally just yesterday. You can add a specific species onto your life list. Sure, depending on the species, it might take actually going to an entirely new place to see the species on your goal list. But if it's a matter of just checking the bird reports a little more often or setting Google alerts for the species, getting on some other kind of rare bird alert or listserv, or even a local Facebook group, then think about doing that. That way, if anything gets published about that species, you'll be one of the first to know and you can plan to try and spot it out. Recently, in my area, there's been a sighting of one lone vermilion flycatcher, which I've never seen in person, and it's high on my list because it's just a stunning bird. Because of this, I'm now following some more local groups and getting pings when it's seen so that if I'm able to drop things, I can just drive up to where it's been spotted and hopefully see it. One day I'll get it. You can add a certain number of birds to your life list. Maybe you want to add five or ten new birds each month or over the course of the year to your life list to reach a larger life list goal in a certain period of time. You can attract birds to your yard and make your yard a bird-friendly space. That's also a goal. You could do this by planning out and talking with local garden centers about native plants you could plant that provide food at various times of year for birds, work toward eliminating pesticide use, 
create more shelter for birds through the addition of plants or even nest and roosting boxes, or add bird window strike decals to your windows. All of these things might take a little bit of time or planning out, so if you plan for it and you get to thinking about it, you can be ahead of the game when it comes to the best time of year to do these things. You can dedicate time to learning birds by sound. This is really an expert way of identifying birds and takes a lot of practice, but it's totally doable if you set up a plan for yourself to train yourself on a number of birds or certain families of birds over a specified period of time. This school is particularly great if you're interested in working on or volunteering doing bird surveys. You can connect with other birders, and this is one of my favorite kinds of goals to keep adding to your list. Join a new local birding community, banding community, or other program or community to harbor and harness that energy and direct it towards birds. This past year, I've joined the Western Bird Banding Association and the Birding Co-op as a way to get involved with the birding community, even if it's not completely local and is more virtual right now. You can learn how to draw or photograph birds. A good way to do this is to take a workshop or a class on the subject, and so many of these classes are now doing theirs virtually, which makes it a lot easier to be able to accomplish this goal. The bottom line is, if birds are something you love and are interested in, and something that brings you joy, why not have it be something that you incorporate into your New Year's goals? Having said all this, you don't have to make everything about goal setting, but I do personally feel like I hold myself more accountable to dedicating my time off to birds as I work through the goals I've set for myself. My birding goals for the upcoming year are identification goals, so I'll say I'm going to learn a certain number of birds and become better versed at learning birds of a certain family by sight and sound. That's one of my favorite things to do, especially since I just moved to a new place and there are some bird species that I have yet to still see in California. My goal is to have by spring all of my local birds, all the birds I can see locally, especially by springtime, down by sight and sound. Another one of my goals is to scope out a new birding destination every month. By birding destination, I don't necessarily mean some far-flung location, but I almost guarantee there's somewhere nearby or within an hour or something like that where you haven't yet explored or don't even know about. This is a good point to ask your local birding groups about their favorite or less well-known birding destinations to give you some ideas. And of course, check out the eBird hotspot map to get ideas of places where people have submitted their checklists. You can find it at eBird.org forward slash hotspots. I like to take the time to find a new place to go birding, especially after this past year and feeling more isolated. I've mapped out some of the local birding hotspots, each of which I'm planning to visit once in different months of the year. If I can make it a point to visit a new place every month, I'm making sure I'm getting out there and exploring and putting it on my calendar to actually make it happen, especially since it really brings me joy. I'll also keep myself accountable by telling you here, and I'll update you every month on my progress, and I'd love for you to join me in that. Of course, all of this is pending other kinds of local restrictions and regulations that might not have necessarily come out yet, but as of right now, this is the plan. Now that we've talked about some of the goals that you could set for yourself, that's a good transition into creating a birding destination wish list. This doesn't have to be something that you implement all in 2021. For obvious reasons, that might be a challenge, but I find it beneficial and somewhat therapeutic to pre-plan and think ahead and be more intentional about the time I'm spending and spending that time doing things that make me happy. I've got one other downloadable PDF guide that I'll put in the show notes that you can use to map out your birding destination wish list too. You can type directly into it or you can print it out. This is the same destination guide that I use when I plan out the places I want to go birding. There are three components that go into this. The destination, 
the species and the time of year that you can see the species you want to see. The reason why these three things are separate but also sort of joined together is that there might be a specific destination you want to go to see birds and there might be a specific bird you want to see and you have to know the best time of year to see the birds you want to see or visit the destination you want to go to. What's kind of hard about the timing aspect here is that it might not necessarily directly line up with when you have off work or when you're able to travel. But here's the important thing to remember. If you have your birding goals in mind and know the best time of year to see the birds or see the bird experience you're interested in seeing, then you won't be disappointed when you get the chance to go to that place to see the birds or experiences you want to see or have. I say this from personal experience, so let me tell you a little bit about it. My husband and I went to Spain a few years ago when we lived in Europe, and the only time of year he was able to get off work was in early August. I had read that Donania National Park in southern Spain was a great place to see waterbirds and especially flamingos. I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be the coolest trip. My husband's a photographer, and of course, birding is one of my favorite things to do, so this would be a really incredible trip to take. When we arrived in early August, Donania largely didn't have any flooded wetlands anymore. I mean, in the height of summer, it's seriously hot, and because of this, the birds moved elsewhere where they'd have more food and water resources. We definitely saw some cool birds like the European bee eater and the hoopoe, both birds we'd been hoping to check off our life lists, but we'd been expecting to go to the park to see the water birds and flamingos and have just a certain experience, and it didn't happen that way. It happened this way, though, because we were planning to visit based on when we felt the best time for us would be to go and not when it was the most optimal time to see the birds that we wanted to see or to have the experience we'd hoped to have. I say this because after this happened, any trip after that that had to do with us seeing birds, I created this birding destination list for myself so that if we knew we'd have a certain time frame off, we could reference the list and say, okay, here are the potential destinations we could visit or potential birds we could see during that particular time off. I know that's not necessarily realistic in every circumstance, and you kind of have to just go when you're able to go or when it's financially more feasible, but these are just important points to keep in mind. This is also why when you go on a birding tour of any kind, they're typically set for specific times of the year. If they offer year-round tours, you might not necessarily go to the same place at different times of year, or the tour schedule might change. So for example, if you are coming here to visit me in wintertime in Northern California, I'd love to bring you to some of the wildlife refuges nearby to show you all the water birds and other birds in serious abundance here right now in wintertime. Some of these places are okay for birding in summertime, but depending on how dry the wetlands are, I'd probably prefer at that point to take you out to the coast to see birds out there, which would be a totally different experience. You also wouldn't be able to see snow geese and sandhill cranes if you visited me here in summertime, and instead we'd be seeing the kinds of birds that breed here. I also like to use the Atlantic puffin as an example because seabirds have such a specific life history schedule that has them on land at certain times of the year and at the sea the rest of the year. So for the Atlantic puffin, they nest on land during a handful of months when they're tending to their nest and young from late spring to early summer. But by July and into August, they're going to be heading out together to the ocean and you won't be able to see them on land. At that point, then, you'd have to get a pelagic tour, which is also really cool to go out in the middle of the ocean and see birds out there. And these tours are really neat because you're in the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden you just happen upon all these birds hanging out and foraging in the middle of the ocean together, which is crazy. However, if you're prone to seasickness, it's kind of a toss-up of whether you're going to be able to enjoy the birds you want to see if you're sick the whole time. 
So this is why the kind of experience you want to have matters along with how that experience lines up with when you can go out to see the bird or birds you're interested in seeing. I like being able to work through these life history traits and learning more about what goes on with birds at different times of the year because I'm a planner and it makes me feel really organized and happy to have my plan sorted out as it pertains to how I can best see birds. I can say, wow, okay, I have time during such and such month. Let's see what kind of birding I can do then. Let's look at three different birding experiences you can have to incorporate into your birding destination wish list. It's not a comprehensive list by any means, but it's a good place to start. The first experience is seeing hordes of birds at one time. The second is seeing a particular charismatic species. And the third is adding tons of new birds to your life list by seeing lots of new species at one time. I've chosen these because they're specific birding experiences, and when you go on a tour, for example, these are the kinds of things they'll usually focus on, so adding a particular species to your life list or adding tons of new species to your list. An example of seeing hordes of birds at one time is seeing snow geese in wintertime. I just recently posted about this on my social media pages, and I'll pin it to the show notes so you can find it easier. And with this experience, although I'm not adding a whole bunch of new species to my life list, it's really fun to see thousands of one kind of bird all in one place. Particularly with snow geese when they do their fly off at sunrise and sunset, it's so impressive and people do travel from afar to be able to see them and photograph them. Especially in wintertime, this is a really fun birding experience. And going back to that timing, it's this kind of experience where you really have to think about the time of year where this experience could potentially happen. At least in my area, you're not going to see snow geese exhibiting this kind of behavior at other times of the year. For adding lots of new birds to your life list, focusing your time frame around migration is a really good bet. Even in your backyard during migration, you could get some really interesting and unique birds that you might not necessarily see at other times of year. Also, going to species-rich locations and places that have diverse enough habitats that will allow you to get lots of different birds at one time would really amp up those lifeless numbers. As one example, I was just speaking with someone in Uganda last week, and they mentioned it's not uncommon when someone visits on a birding trip there, and after 10 days or so, to get upwards of 600 individual species on their list. I mean, that's crazy. If you're looking for specific destinations, places in the equatorial regions like Costa Rica as well, for example, tend to have loads of bird diversity. You can also think more locally, so think about the kinds of habitats you'll see at a particular destination and find spots that allow for variable horizontal and vertical diversity in the vegetation or landscape, or diversity in habitats as you go across the landscape, as well as vertically in structure, so with bushes and trees. If a certain location has a path that traverses through wetlands, forests, grasslands, and shorelines, you'd potentially get more birds at that place because you'll get different birds that prefer being in each of those different kinds of habitats. So that's something to think about when planning out your next birding location if you're trying to add more species to your life list too. Then there's selecting a destination based on a charismatic bird that's found there or that you want to see. I'm a little bit torn about using the word charismatic here because all birds to me are charismatic, but when I think of birds in this category, I'm thinking about Atlantic puffins, bald eagles, or snowy owls, for example. The thing about these birds is that you're going to be contending with birders and those who don't necessarily consider themselves birders but are interested in seeing these particular beautiful birds. Snowy owls, for example, have become popular worldwide with just about everyone who loves Harry Potter because of the beloved Hedwig. 
And just a couple of weeks ago, a snowy owl was seen by many people in the Seattle area, and it even got media coverage because they're such beautiful and charismatic birds. If there's a particular charismatic bird species you're hoping to see, like these ones, just know it's possible that lots of other people will be hoping to do the same. An upside to this, too, is that it's potentially easier to find where they're located, and there might even be more tours going out to see these birds to increase the chances of optimizing your time finding and seeing them. So with this part of the exercise of determining your birding destination wish list, take the downloadable guide that I'm putting onto the show notes at birdingtools.com, write down the specific species you want to see or specific experiences you want to have, and destinations you want to visit on separate lines. For experiences you want to have, the question is where you can have that experience and what time of year is best for having that experience. If you want to see a specific bird, the question is where you can see that bird and at what time of year you can see it at that location. I just want to emphasize that last part too because you can see birds in five different locations in a country or region, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll be able to see that bird in all of those locations year-round. To help out with the timing of things, I've also put a birding by seasons map I've created in the show notes as well. This map shows the seasons in each hemisphere and the kinds of bird activity you'll likely find in those different seasons. It does take some time and research, but once you've compiled this list, you'll be able to more clearly understand what your birding goals are. And I truly believe that when you have these things down on paper and have them prime in your mind, it makes it more intentional for you and that you sort of follow through with yourself. Even if we can't do all the things or even some of the things on this list next month or next year, having it down as a bucket list item that you want to get as you progress in your birding journey and continue on learning birds, you'll be more intentional about doing things that bring you joy and make you happy, seeing birds. So don't forget that I've got two downloadable guides for you on the show notes at birdingtools.com, one to map out your top three birding goals and the other to create your longer term birding destination wish list. To recap, set some new birding goals for yourself in the new year. This can be something as easy as adding just one new bird to your life list or learning to use your field guide to your best advantage. And consider creating your own birding destination wish list, both for local birding destinations and far afield destinations. You'll see which places you want to visit or species you want to see and determine the best time of year to see that bird in which location. So there you have it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Birding Tools podcast, and I hope this material was helpful to you. To access information about the content I've mentioned in the show and the show notes, visit our website at birdingtools.com. You can follow Birding Tools on Instagram and Facebook with the handle at birdingtools. And in case you didn't already know, I send out weekly emails detailing the content discussed on the podcast, along with some helpful, actionable tips and information. To get on my email list, simply visit the website or email me at hello at birdingtools.com. Next time on the Birding Tools podcast, I've got the wonderfully talented Melissa Hafting, aka BC Birder Girl, joining me to talk about bird photography, her BC Young Birder program, and diversity and inclusiveness in birding. I can't wait to share this episode with you, so be sure to tune in. If you enjoyed this episode and want to get updates on the latest Birding Tools has to offer, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening now. See you next time.